With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash acquire. That's linkedin.com slash acquire. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to Money for the Rest of Us, a personal finance show on money, how it works, how to invest it, and how to live without worrying about it. I'm your host, David Stein, and today is episode 38. It's titled, How to Invest Like a Hedge Fund. The suggestion for today's topic came from Edwin, who wrote to say that he often struggled with learning the difference between hedge funds, mutual funds, futures, options, bonds, etc. And so I want to start by explaining how you can sort of organize all these different investment terms in your mind. One way to do it is to separate out what is an investment vehicle from an investment security. An investment vehicle is a particular legal structure for accessing investments. It's generally, some. it can be a commingled vehicle or it can be a vehicle where you are the only investor. The distinguishing feature of an investment vehicle is that there is a professional money manager selecting securities on your behalf. An example of a investment vehicle would be a mutual fund. There's a publicly traded vehicle, it's registered with the SEC, and there's a mutual fund manager that is selecting stocks or bonds, and your assets are commingled with other investors. Now, every investment vehicle has certain types of liquidity features. So a mutual fund, an open-end mutual fund, you have daily liquidity, so you can get your money at the end of the day. That's when the security trades. Another investment vehicle would be an exchange-traded fund. There, again, it might seem like a security because it trades on a, an exchange like a stock, but the reality is there is a ETF manager that is selecting underlying securities. So an ETF is a vehicle. There, the liquidity essentially is throughout the trading day. So a hedge fund is also an investment vehicle. A hedge fund is a private investment partnership. So the investors are limited partners, and the professional money manager, the hedge fund manager, is the general partner. Now, a hedge fund typically caters to institutions and very high net worth individuals. And one reason they did that is for many years, prior to 2011, most hedge funds weren't registered, at least in the U.S., weren't registered with the Security and Exchange Commission or the SEC. So they, as long as they didn't market to the general public, they didn't need to register, and so they were effectively unregistered investment vehicles. Other distinguishing feature about a hedge fund is it doesn't have daily liquidity. Most hedge funds have either annual liquidity or quarterly liquidity. Some, some might have monthly, but... Generally, when you invest in a hedge fund, you put your money in, and you might not, you might have an opportunity once a year to take that money out. And the reason why hedge funds do that is, well, two reasons. The practical standpoint, that way they can continue earning their fees, and, and hedge funds have an interesting 
structure when it comes to fees, whereas most investment vehicles just charge a straight-up asset management fee. A hedge fund will charge an asset management fee. In other words, they get a percent of the assets. But they also get what's an incentive fee, which is a percent of the profit. And that's typically calculated at the end of the year. And it can be as high as 20%, which is why there are so many hedge fund managers in the Forbes 500 list or other list of multi-billionaires because hedge funds are highly compensated. And they're highly compensated because they get a percent of the profit. There's this phrase 2 and 20. They get 2%. That's their management fee. And they get 20% of the profits. The thing about hedge funds, though, is are all those hedge funds really that skilled to deserve that level of compensation? And it, it's, it's an intriguing question, and, and it's one as I spent a number of years researching hedge funds. As, as my prior firm, we ran a number of hedge fund of funds, and so we had an investment vehicle, a limited partnership, that invested in underlying hedge funds. And as a member of our investment policy committee and as our chief investment strategist, I would be one of those that would approve the research done by our hedge fund analysts in terms of recommending hedge funds. Should they be on our list and get invested in our funds? I would also go to New York in Boston, Connecticut, and I would meet with hedge fund managers, not so much because I was doing due diligence, I was doing some due diligence, but mainly just so I can learn because I, I've always been intrigued by my, my crew has spent researching managers. Are hedge fund managers really that much smarter than everyone else to deserve such high compensation? And in some cases, they are, and in many cases, they're not, but they have a structural advantage in terms of how these funds are set up that gives the appearance that they're very, very smart. And I'll talk about that in later in this episode. But first, what are some of the things that we can learn? The title of the episode is Learn to Invest Like a Hedge Fund. So I'll focus on some of the positives, think the takeaways that I've learned and applied to my own investing that I've learned from hedge funds. And the first is... Be flexible and patient. Hedge funds have a great deal of flexibility in terms of their investment mandates. Again, a hedge fund is an investment vehicle. They, that means that there isn't one stripe of hedge fund. They can have all types of different investment strategies. I remember one of the, the first hedge funds I got to know. I was a, an advisor for a pension plan. So I was their pension consultant. And this particular pension plan was a corporation that did, did man manufacturing. They made mason jars and made aerospace equipment. And there was the, the CFO kept bringing this guy, wanted us to meet with this, this one, one person hedge fund, one, one guy. And he was a specialist in manufacturing companies. 
And for his hedge fund, he literally would invest in five or six stocks. That's it. It was very, very concentrated. A lot of long positions, maybe a few short positions to, to sort of hedge the portfolio. But that was his strategy, six stocks. He's still in business. He has a, a, a fabulous track record. But, and, and eventually, this pension plan, sort of without, we didn't recommend that they do this, but they invested in this hedge fund because, and, and they were attracted to it because this particular hedge fund manager was, was such a strong researcher and knew this, the industries that he focused on, which in, happened to include this corporation whose pension plan that I was a consultant for. So they saw the level of due diligence and research that he did. And he was a great, great stock picker. And he started a hedge fund. And so that was that's one of the examples. It can be very, very concentrated. There are hedge funds that are just trading trader-oriented. In other words, they might trade commodities or they might trade interest rate futures. I remember going to a hedge fund in Connecticut, and that's what they did. They they were a trading firm. They had it set up in this old mansion in Connecticut, and half the room were quantitative traders, very, very systematic traders following really quantitative-type formulas. So there wasn't a whole lot of flexibility. And on the other side of the room were were the where there was a great more a great deal more flexibility in terms of how they traded and they had some leeway and so that's all that that firm did and i remember meeting with the the head of the firm who had put it together who again was i don't know multi-billionaire and whenever i meet with with any manager including a hedge fund i'm always trying to figure out are they really that smart? I'm kind of I'm kind of jaundiced that way. I, I want it. Everyone looks the same to me to some extent, and so when somebody has set themselves up as being special, I kind of want to understand: Are they really special, or what is special about them? And I remember meeting with this hedge fund, and we got to talking about, or this hedge fund manager, this founder, and started talking about economics, and, and particularly macroeconomics and the situation. And I found that he sounded like he was just quoting from the Wall Street Journal. It didn't, it didn't seem like a very sophisticated analysis. And, but as I got to thinking about it afterwards, I realized, well, his, his skill isn't necessarily taking macro views and trading on them. His skill was recruiting traders and setting up trading systems, quantitative trading systems, but also recruiting other traders that actually had skills. So he didn't necessarily have it, and it became pretty clear as I met with him that he didn't necessarily have a, a skill for predicting the future, but that was his particular skill. So there was more trading-oriented. I found, though, that the type of hedge funds that I was most attracted to, that I thought very, very much earned their keep in terms of their fees were multi-strategy hedge funds where they had a broad mandate to go to the areas uh, in the markets that were most attractively valued. So these these hedge funds tend to be very diversified, but then they would overweight those areas that that were most attractive. 
And they're particularly looking for areas because investors have become overly pessimistic that they were selling their investment holdings so that they could, that because they could no longer stomach the uncertainty and the losses. In other words, they were taking advantage of investor psychology. And, and if it happened to be in an area that they didn't know very much about, I remember one hedge fund knew back in the 80s, knew nothing about real estate, private real estate investment. But after the, the credit union debacle in the U.S., where credit unions were just dumping properties, this hedge fund learned and hired some talent to learn to manage private property. So the hedge fund started investing in private property. So the takeaway is, is learn to be flexible. Don't necessarily have one way that you invest. Take advantage of those opportunities, but also learn to be patient. This particular hedge fund and others, if there aren't sufficient opportunities, they don't feel compelled to put the money to work. A traditional money manager, a mutual fund manager can't sit, or very few will sit and hold 30% cash. If there aren't opportunities, if the market has gotten pricey, they'll still invest. They'll invest in their 50th or 60th best idea just because they believe And to some extent, their board wants them to invest the money because they're collecting a fee. And their their concern is, well, if we're not invested in the equity class that's mentioned or the particular strategy that's mentioned in the prospectus, then the clients will leave. Hedge funds don't worry about that. Again, they have the flexibility, the flexible mandate to hold cash and to be patient when they're isn't really an opportunity. Let me pause here to share some words from this week's sponsors. When you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. I know in our business, having the right candidates for the job is critical to keep our business running smoothly. Now, LinkedIn isn't just another job board. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. It gives you access to professionals you can't find anywhere else. LinkedIn does all that while making the process easy and intuitive. Hiring is easy when you have that many quality candidates. So easy, in fact, that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. LinkedIn is constantly finding ways to make the process easier. They even just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process even easier and quicker. So post your job for free at linkedin.com slash David. That's linkedin.com slash David to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Sometimes it's just nice to sit back, relax, maybe even take a nap. That's not what you want your money to be doing. You want it to be working hard for you, earning interest, generating returns, That's where the Betterment Automated Investing and Savings app can help. Betterment's technology gives you advanced tools that are built to help you maximize returns. They have diversified portfolios of low-cost ETFs that have been constructed by experts, high-yield cash accounts where your money can earn 11 times the national average, and automated investing technology like automated rebalancing. These tools can help you reach your savings and investing goals. Betterment is a fiduciary. That means it's their job to act in your best interest. They will never recommend an investment or give you guidance unless they believe it will help you reach your financial goals. 
So visit Betterment.com to get started. Learn more about the high-yield cash accounts at Betterment.com. Investing involves risk, performance not guaranteed, cash reserves offered through Betterment LLC and Betterment Securities. Betterment is not a bank. Second thing to learn from hedge funds is protect against the unknowns. Now, the term hedge fund came from the idea that they would hedge, they would protect against market losses. As I mentioned, hedge funds earn an incentive fee comprised of 20% of the investment partnership's annual profits. Now, they only get that incentive fee if they make a profit. And if they happen to lose money in a given year, they don't start earning that incentive fee until they have regained or recaptured that profit. That's called the high water mark. And so the structure of a hedge fund is very much set up to where they, they don't want to lose money because if a hedge fund loses money, they can't collect their incentive fee, which means they can't pay their underlying talent as much money, a great deal of hedge fund compensation. Most of it comes through that incentive fee. And so if, if they get underwater, it could take several years for them to recoup and get back to the high water mark which could cause some of their talent to leave, which could cause investors to want to leave the fund at the annual opportunity to leave. And so it can kind of compound itself. And so they very much don't want to lose money at all. And one way they do that is a hedge. They protect against the downside. They're trying to capture the upside, protect against the downside. And I've met with hedge fund managers, and I've tried to you know, I ask them, to some extent, what are you hedging against? And, and sometimes they'll give specific answers, but the most direct will say they don't know. They're just protecting against things that are unknown. And we can do that in our own investing. One way to do that is to, to diversify as much as possible. And, and many of the top-tier hedge funds that I like are very, very diversified. That's one way to protect. But a better way is to actually keep a margin of safety, some type of cash buffer. That's why individuals should keep a, some type of, of emergency fund. That is a way to keep a cash buffer just, just in case, to hedge against the unknown, to hedge against a period of unemployment or an unexpected expense, the car breaks. That, that's a margin of safety, and that, that's really what a hedge is. Buying insurance is, say, life insurance. Homeowner's insurance is a form of a hedge. You're paying a premium in order to protect against the downside. Now, most hedge funds or many hedge funds will enter into derivative contracts to protect against downside. These could be privately entered into contracts that just protect against certain things, or they could be publicly traded, such as put options or other derivative securities, all in the idea of protecting against the downside. That's something that we should also do in our investing through a margin of safety, through a cash buffer. Some hedge funds, as I mentioned, because they can't find opportunities, could hold up to 30 to 40% cash, and that cash buffer will vary based on the level of opportunity. A third thing to learn from hedge funds in our own investing 
is this idea of having an informational edge. Hedge funds are always looking for some type of edge, some type of understanding, particularly what's known as an asymmetrical risk-reward pattern. An example, here's a quote from Howard Marks, who runs a firm called Oak Tree Capital that does distressed debt investing, and many hedge funds invest in distressed debt. Here's his quote. To achieve superior results, an investor must be able, with some regularity, to find asymmetries, instances when the upside potential exceeds the downside risk. If you've structured a hedge fund where you're earning an incentive fee of 20% of the profit, you don't want to lose money, and so you're looking for an informational edge, an asymmetrical risk-reward pattern where the potential upside is multiples of the downside. Is it possible for individual investors to get an informational edge? Generally not. We're not spending 60, 70 hours a week trying to to identify those few opportunities where the risk is significantly less than than the reward or or the upside. What we can do is find systematic or a structural advantage. If investors that focus on the unvalue, finding undervalued segments of the market, or investors that focus on momentum when market internals are attractive, where there's a momentum aspect to the market. These are structural aspects to the market that we can take advantage of that, that many hedge funds do. Those that are multi-strategy hedge funds that are going to the most attractive areas of the market, sometimes they're attractive because of undervaluation. Sometimes they're attractive because of investor psychology. There's, there's a momentum aspect to the market. So that, that's one way to do it. But generally speaking, we're not going to have the informational edge that many hedge funds do. Another thing that hedge funds are very, very aware of is what's known as asset liability matching. They, one reason they only allow investors to leave once per year and often will put up a gate. In other words, if, if a lot of investors leave or want to leave, they limit the amount of investors that can leave. And that's because many of their investments are longer term in nature. They could even be – have they're just not terribly liquid. And so they don't want to disadvantage the remaining investors because a lot of their existing investors want to leave. So if you think about it, so many investors are leaving and, and so the hedge fund has to sell – the most liquid securities in order to raise cash to give to the departing investors, that would leave the ones that stayed with very, very illiquid positions. And so they they put up these gates and they try to match their assets, their holdings with their liability, their, their, the, the need to give the money back to their limited partners. And, and that's something we need to do in our own lives. One reason we, we don't want to get too illiquid we want to maintain a cash buffer and just kind of keep that those asset liabilities intact to where we're not overly illiquid in a period where we need money. Now, one other item on hedge funds. They have a structural advantage of themselves. And the structural advantage that they have is they don't have a benchmark. 
Their benchmark is to make money, to have an absolute return. And what is interesting about that, let me give you an example. I knew some very smart small cap or small company stock researchers. They were they were in the early 30s. They worked for a firm in New York. They managed some money for my clients. But I mean, they weren't the senior people at the firm. They just were researchers. And so they researched small company stocks. Three of them decided to get together and start their own hedge fund. This was in 2003. They were able to raise a couple hundred million dollars. And then they started at the beginning of 2003, focusing on this, those small company stocks. They, they had maybe 20 in their portfolio. They did some hedging. So, so, but they, they had never really hedged before in terms of going short, but they shorted a few stock. But generally, they were more long-focused. Small company stocks were up 37% in 2003. This hedge fund was up 20%. And they made, their, their incentive fee was several, you know, a couple million dollars. They were millionaires. They were multimillionaires after one year. Now, were they such brilliant stock pickers to deserve that type of compensation? Not really. I mean, the, the overall market was up 37%. They were up 20 but because they were, quote-unquote, a hedge fund, and they got a percentage of the profit, that, that, that was sort of how it was set up. And so many one reason why so many managers want to get into hedge fund is this, this aspect is they're not tied to a Pacific benchmark. It became pretty clear in 2008 that when so many hedge funds actually lost money, were down 20%, that they weren't really hedged, that they were just a really expensive mutual fund. And so as I've spent years researching hedge funds, there's things that you can learn for them. There's some that, that definitely earn the compensation. That have, I know some that have earned 15% annualized consistently and have not lost money. They're rare, and they're typically closed to new investors. Most hedge funds don't earn anywhere near that, and a lot of hedge funds have come under pressure because even though they don't have a specific market index or market benchmark that they're compared against, that they're really just trying to earn a positive return, I think many investors in the mind expect these hedge funds to earn 8 to 10% at least annualized, but many have fallen far short of that. Still, what we can do is take principles from top-tier hedge funds and apply them to our own investment portfolios. We can be flexible in terms of how we invest. We can have a margin of safety. We can try to achieve some type of systematic advantage by focusing on undervalued segments of the market and also focusing on on positive market internals. And on the Money for the Rest of Us Hub, I have a video course that has been up or on the 12th lesson. It's called Learn to Invest in Seven Steps. And not only do I spotlight a number of hedge funds and other investment mentors and, and things that I've learned from them that I apply to my own investment portfolio, but I go in terms of very basics. How do you choose a brokerage account? How do you fund it? What are stocks and how do they trade? What are ETFs and how do they trade? What about closed-end funds? I give specific examples of opening or finding and buying an ETF and a closed-end fund. 
I talk about building a network of experts, including hedge fund experts, to sort of virtual mentors. And now, in the next few weeks, we're going to be focusing on asset classes and how do you find undervalued asset classes and this whole concept of market internals and momentum and how should that influence your investing. So that is one of the elements of the Money for the Rest of Us Hub. It's the current video course. There's also audio lessons there. I also provide investment insights and recommendations in terms of current market conditions. And I give insight in terms of what I'm doing with my own portfolio, some of my own holdings and the decisions I'm making. You can find all that at moneyfortherestofushub.com. Show notes for this and earlier episodes can be found at moneyfortherestofus.net. That's also where you can sign up for my insider's guide where I email you weekly those show notes. That's also where I answer listener questions and provide other valuable content for insider guide members. That's at moneyfortherestofus.net. If you have questions on this or other episodes, you can email me, jd at jdavidstein.com. It's also where you can email me if you have suggestions on future topics. I'm also on Twitter, at jdstein. Everything I've shared with you in this episode is for general education only. I've not considered your specific risk profile. I've not provided investment advice, simply general education on money, investing, and the economy. Have a great week.